0: 16's a magic number in Indie Ball this week. We talk about the Valley Cats' adventure into the Frontier League, as well as the delayed start in MILB, and much more news. So you'll want to stay tuned for this one on the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again this week, and obviously, uh, given the news of the recent few days, we actually have stuff to talk about this week, which is always a lovely turn of events, isn't it?
1: Especially when you're in that December to January window, kind of sometimes scratching for stuff to talk about. However, in this off season for indie ball, like no other, there's not very many weeks like that. I would say. I mean, I, of course, last week was one of those weeks, but I feel like in general it's not as common. Uh, specifically this this season and uh, boy did we have some news coming across uh, coming across this week
0: Yeah, that's the one thing that is undeniably a positive at least from our perspective of this whole milB reduction or whatever you want to call it is that there's so much news just going around. And there's the possibility of so many stories and so many things to talk about that we never really have a dull week anymore, which is obviously great because I really don't want to go back to doing, uh, you know, radio deals and the like here. But I suppose we should kind of. Give you a preview of what we are going to discuss today. We're obviously going to touch on the directly independent league baseball things first, and then there is uh, some news coming out of MILB, which is that they're going to have their spring training delayed, which most likely means that they're going to have their season delayed, which means that could affect the indie ball season. But that comes towards the end of the show. Uh, first and foremost, though, we are talking about the Tri City Valley Cats finding their home league. So. I guess with that, we should just dive right into it, as it was announced on Thursday that the Frontier League would unanimously accept the Tri-City Valley Cats as the 16th member of the Frontier League. It's no real surprise that we were kind of shocked by it, namely because it seemed to be a lock and a slam dunk market for the Atlantic League, you know, it seemed like it made a lot of sense just from the stadium, from the location, from every factor. It seemed to make a lot of sense here. But as you'll find out as we discuss this, you know, I said so much what the Atlantic League offered rather spooked them away from the Atlantic League. They liked the quality of play and all that spooked them away was the price tag associated with that and uh, on that note i suppose we should go to the atlantic league guy over here and uh, let will talk a little bit about this because i'm sure this is a market that you obviously wanted for the atlantic league and didn't quite get to
1: yeah absolutely nick i was really hoping that tri-city and that albany troy region in upstate new york i think it would have been an awesome fit for the Atlantic League. Now first and foremost, cuz I know there's plenty of Frontier League fans listening, I mean Tri-City going into the Frontier League is an absolute slam dunk. To be quite honest, right off the bat, Tri-City becomes in my in my view one of the two or three best franchises in the Frontier League on day 1. Now, of, of course, the it's not it's not an exact science cuz New Britain had pretty good attendance and New Britain was looking decent, uh, when they dropped down from double A into, into the Atlantic league and then it quickly, di- and the, uh, the attendance quickly went downhill. So I- I'm going to hope that's not the issue there. From everything I've heard, the- there's a great fan base, uh, up there. And, and I think the fit in the Frontier League, as much as I wanted them in the Atlantic league from a Frontier League perspective, it- it's an absolute home run. For, for the for the Frontier League to be able to bring in Tri City, I would probably argue that Tri City, out of all the teams that um, out of all the teams that were that lost their minor league affiliation and did not join the MLB Draft League, I think you'd probably agree, Nick, that Tri City was probably the jewel of the teams that that dropped. Unless you you disagree. The I'm only not other
0: sure. one I would say could contend with that is probably Kane County. I think Kane County was one that took a lot of people by surprise when they got cut. Um, okay, yeah. So I I may argue with them, but tri is definitely a, a top two uh, market.
1: Right. And and especially when you remember the the episode where Nick and I sat down with Frontier League Commissioner Bill Lee. This really fits into this this uh, this geographical area that he said he was really looking to, to fit into. Specifically talking about, I guess, the former Can-Am side, specifically what you're talking about. Is you have your two teams in New Jersey. You have your team in Rockland, which isn't, isn't too far from New York City. And after that, you go straight up to Canada. And now when you factor in Tri-City, it's seriously, it's pretty much right on the way to Canada. Like seriously, it is. Oh, yeah. uh, it,
0: It makes it very easy for road trips.
1: If you tried to go from, from Rockland to, uh, up, up to Canada, you're driving right through Albany. That's 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 just how it works. So the, the location is awesome. Um and as far as what drew Tri-City to the Frontier League over the Atlantic League, Nick, I think you're hundred percent right. I I understand that um I mean the talent level in the Atlantic League would probably be an improvement. You'd probably get some bigger names, etc. But you have to think of things from the current business climate we're in. Teams don't exactly have cash to throw around. And although I certainly wouldn't Atlantic league players aren't like paid boatloads of cash by any means, please don't please don't misunderstand my point. However, the salary cap on the front in the frontier league is a lot lower and it costs a lot less to run a team, to run a team in the frontier league than it does to run a team in the Atlantic league. Now on the flip side, I guess, for lack of a better term, the ceiling or the potential of a successful front, of, excuse me, a successful Atlantic League market. That there's a higher reward there, and that's what we've seen culminate in Somerset and in Sugarland. That, all, of course, led to them leaving the Atlantic League. Long Island is still definitely in there as well. I think you could throw York and Lancaster. Uh, hmm. potentially in there as well. but I think probably Long Island, Somerset, and Sh- Sugarland are the are the main examples of that. The Atlantic League, you definitely have like the most potential when you get into. However, if it goes bad, as we've seen in New Britain, it's not easy to keep afloat because the players are more expensive to pay. You're having bigger names that want that um, you're you're ending up paying more money, specifically on the coaching side as well. And so in the Frontier League, it's definitely a, a better financial decision. It's a safer financial decision. And from that perspective, I can understand why Tri-City passed on the bigger names and the prestige and the more talent uh, and the higher level talent uh, that maybe the Atlantic League provides for the finan- more of the financial security that the Frontier League would provide, especially with the fact that. They have a good fan base up there and they're pretty confident that they can make it work.
0: Exactly. I'm going to build off of that financial point real quick and, just kind of expand on it. Uh, in addition to the, you know, the salaries that come along with those bigger names like Will mentioned, well you could have some former major leaguers, I mean, that's kind of a given on just about any Atlantic League roster, you'll have two or three guys at least that had some MLB service time, if not much, at least, you know, a handful, and you'll have a handful of AAA guys and then the rest of your rosters, mainly AA guys and you know, sprinkle in a couple of lower level guys as well, but by and large, you will have a higher level level of talent or a more established level of talent i should say and that's going to cost more money and like will said this isn't like they're making boatloads here but it is enough where if you're a team that's coming out of not playing a full year because of a pandemic and going into independent league ball and kind of going into this great unknown not just in the sense of you don't really know how independent league ball operates entirely but also, you don't know what the situation is going to be like when you're able to start play. I mean, even if we're going to say you're able to start on, uh, you know, your usual starting time. I guess that'd be Memorial Day weekend, uh, right around in there, end of May. And you're able to start with, let's call it two-thirds capacity. And I'm not sure if that's realistic or not, but let's just use that as the example. You're now going with an unknown product and you're building up essentially from scratch here all you really have is the brand and while yes you do have a fan base here you don't know how they're going to react to not having that major league affiliation to it so if you're going to be going into that would you rather be paying a roster you know two times as much as you could be and it's not like there's this major drop off in quality here if you want to say that the Frontier League is kind of like a high-A league, which I think would be about fair, high-A to double-A level league, uh, between its highs and its lows, then you're already having a higher quality of talent than the New York Penn League, or at worst, equivalent talent. So it's not like you're going from being a double-A or a triple-A team and going down. You're staying about the same level. So that really shouldn't be a major detractor at all. In addition to just the salary opera aspect of this there's also the travel because there's certainly going to be a lot of travel now and i don't believe they're really going to be flying to many places so you want a place where or a league rather where you can bust most of the teams and if you're going to be busing from albany you'd rather be busing to like you know northern new jersey the just over the line of New Jersey into New York and where Rockland is you'd rather be going to Pennsylvania Ohio you know things where certainly they're not a short bus trip but they're very doable as opposed to having to bus to Long Island as your closest but then really southeastern PA and then you know, Southern Maryland, and then into North Carolina, and then wherever else the Atlantic League may expand to. Those are really tough bus trips. I mean, just imagine going from Albany, New York, to essentially Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, granted, you're going to be doing a lot of road swings there while on your way through. You're probably going to be on the road for about a month while you're doing it. But even still, that's a long time there, and it makes scheduling tough. If you're not going to have more than, like, one week's worth of home games in a month, That becomes very hard to keep, you know, crowds engaged and active when you're contending with movie theaters, regular theaters, other summertime events. You need to factor that in. So now it's not only you're spending more revenue to get the team from point A to point B, but you're also potentially losing revenue because if you go without having games for like, let's say, two weeks in a row, three weeks in a row, now you've just lost fan interest in it. Because where people may have otherwise said, oh, let's see if there's a Valley Cats game tonight, and then found out, oh no, they're on the road for the next three weeks, now it's just fallen out of their mind, and now they're going to say, oh, well, we'll go do something else. So that's also a factor, plus there's also an entrance fee. Now, we don't know what the entrance fee is into the Frontier League. Presumably, it's lower than the $3 million fee for the Atlantic League, however, A small asterisk on that, Major League Baseball was offering to pay the entrance fee for any team that was cut in the realignment. They were going to cover the $3 million for you to go into the Atlantic League. I'm not sure if that's the same deal for the other partner leagues. I'd assume not because I didn't see it printed, but it could very well be the case as well. Uh, Just tossing that out there. And one other thing of note of interest about all of this is it's only a three-year membership. However, there is the expectation it'll be extended beyond it. But as of right now, they're only locked in for 21, 22, and 23.
1: Nick, the one point I wanted to touch on, you you were talking about the travel from Tri-City and busing to to Charlotte and in North Carol- and the multiple stops in North Carolina and such. But couldn't you make that same argument when you when they're taking the bus trips out to the Frontier Division, like during during the Frontier League season? I
0: mean you could, but if I remember right, and I'm trying to remember back to when we first reported on how that scheduling would work. If I remember right, the plan was you're going to play the vast majority of your games inside your own division. So that would mean that they'd be going into Quebec, into technically Ontario with Ottawa, and then to like the tri-state. That's where they're going to play the vast majority of their games. If I'm right of the 80 not, or 89 98 games, my mistake, 98 games, they're going to wind up playing something like, I want to say 80 or so in division. So it really isn't that much of an issue. And with the Atlantic League, you can assume that they're going to stay at eight, <coughs> at least for the short term. So you're going to be going down to the Carolinas a lot more often. I mean, in a 126 game season, divide that by the 7 teams that you get to play. I'm not very good at math, but I could tell you that's a lot more than like the 18 other games that you'd either have to travel or have someone coming to you from uh, the far west, I guess it would be.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I guess that's a fair point. I mean, I was it kind of seems like so long ago we were talking about the 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 Frontier League and how they were going to structure their schedule back when you know the pandemic wasn't a thing and this yeah. front and the F- Frontier League CanAm merger, which we still have not seen in action. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as unfortunate as that is, I mean it's been in place for a while now. We just you know haven't seen it in action. Yeah. However, I, I think that it can't be emphasized enough how big of a deal this is for the Frontier League and in general. I mean, the Frontier League has had an absolutely awesome offseason. Oh, yeah.
0: No, they've been crushing it between getting the partnership going through, then adding in now two new teams, I believe it is, with uh, Ottawa and now Tri-City. I'd still say they're likely to add Lexington and Vermont at least, maybe Kane County. But I heard a rumor going around that Kane County would rather be in the American Association which does make sense, I guess. I mean, it's really a two-horse race over there. So I imagine if the Frontier League had a choice, they'd probably rather add Vermont and Lexington than add uh, King County in there just because they already have a lot of teams in that region. And, I mean, Lexington just provides such a great regional rivalry with Florence. And Vermont really does kind of seal home that final like U.S. leg of the uh, Canada trips too now. Between Tri City and uh, Vermont, and make it real easy to do those swings.
1: Yeah, I, I, those Vermont and Lexington. I mean, we've been talking about those markets for a while. After, because I guess we this is one we didn't really see coming, so we didn't really factor it in too much. But do, do you think there would be any issue with nine teams being in the? Uh, it well, because because you did t- you you did touch on you're playing the vast majority of games in your own division. If you have an 18-team league with nine teams in each division, you're always going to have to have at least one uh, one series where the divisions are crossing over. So, do you think that uh, nine teams in each division, and let's say you add Vermont and, uh, and and Lexington, do you think that's possible? The Frontier League could swing, or do you think maybe they're just hey, 16 teams is easy enough, eight teams in each division. We're, this is this is the league we're gonna roll with for next year.
0: I think is still well within play here I, I see what you're saying because having odd numbers when you split everything up is you know not great you'd obviously like to either be 16 or 20 or just a number that you know works a little bit better but I don't think that matters all that much just because we're not seeing two conferences and then divisions inside the conferences. we're seeing just two straight up divisions so you can add as many as you want in there. plus if you have nine aside, then it's really like each team's playing eight others inside their own division because you can't include themselves into the math. So if you play a a 98-game schedule and you say 80 of those games have to be against, you know, the teams inside your division, who knows, maybe they'll play exclusively in their own divisions because of the COVID this year, or at least to start the year, I imagine it will be really heavily focused on uh, local or regional travel uh, more so than anything else. But regardless, going forward, you could have that and because you figure if 80 games are in your own division, that's 10 against each of the other eight teams in your division, you could split that up and any manner that you want between home and away and everything like that. And then those last remaining 18, you can have that be against say a two to four other teams that are in the other division. If you split it like nine on the road, nine at home, and then you could do doing a five game series is a bit awkward, but three and three and three.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think in, I think in that scenario you would probably have, the division like you're having four divisional matchups uh for at at all times and then you have um you have one team from each division going into the other division and you know working and uh just one at a time and working through their through that nine game road trip that they got to do once a year you would think that's probably how it would work right
0: yeah probably or something like that like i'm not exactly sure on the 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 art of schedule making because that is an art in and of itself but it certainly is doable i'll say that much i don't think having an odd number really you know damages it plus i mean if having some schedule quirks is the downside to having an 18 team league where you pick up some like solid markets like i was saying this on on twitter last night because i know someone that want us to talk a bit about i think specifically vermont but more or less if the frontier league could go bigger and i was really saying if the markets are there and they will help the frontier league i don't see why billy wouldn't add them i don't think size is really an issue we know that 20 has been kind of the unofficial target number for a while we asked him about this and he said ah you know there's really not an any set number that i look at and although we do know dorso during the merger press conference said we want to be a 20-team league. So I imagine that number is still around 20. So 18 or 20, I think it's fine. Like I said, I really think this just comes back down to if the markets are are healthy, they have good operators, and they will ultimately benefit the Frontier League, I don't think they really care if it's 20 teams or 21 teams or 22 teams, 18 or 16. I think they just want the best markets in their league, and to grow their reach. And even still, I still really do think they want one more team to kind of bridge that gap. And yeah. if they get to 20, then I think you can start having more, you know, of a traditional divisional structure that we've seen. You know, you have more, maybe the Midwest division and the KM division as conferences and then divisions inside of those. Or maybe you just do away with the two set divisions and you'd go with five divisions in total of four teams apiece just a lot of fun ways that you could divvy that up and then redo scheduling and everything i think there's that's all a lot for down the road though i think in the immediate future the decision really is do you want to add two more and i think the answer to that question is yes
1: the one and i know see you're talking about like expanding 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 the the one thing that i think we're not really factoring in here which is um, which is i think it's going to be interesting to see how the frontier league kind of pursues this is the age limit and here's why because once you're talking about having a um a, such a big league like an 18 20 team league that we've never really seen mm-hmm. in in uh it, independent baseball to this point and if you're assuming that you have your age limit of 27 we're still kind of factoring in the uh the like the you're kind of grandfathering in still those those teams from the can where maybe you have three guys or i know it was four guys yeah. in the, the supposed 2020 season i i wonder if they're tr- if the goal was to kind of phase it out and then eventually long term you're back to that 27 year old age limit now don't take this the wrong way but it's if we get to a twenty-team league, while the markets might be great, is there enough talent to go around? When you're talking about, and maybe maybe there is with with the, with the draft uh, being shortened, you probably have, I guess, more guys available in that way. Does a cons- is there at all a concern I, for you of twenty teams and maybe in a long-term age limit of twenty-seven? Do you worry about well, there there might not be enough good talent to go around to all 20 of these markets.
0: I'm not really concerned all that much about it, because even if you want to say the draft goes to 25 rounds, although I think 20 is the number they're going to go with, then you still have at least 15 rounds worth of players to you know kind of work with here. Plus, you have other guys that are going to wind up getting cut and whatnot from other leagues, from affiliated ball, I don't really think talent's so much an issue. I think you're going to find plenty of that because keep in mind you have Division 1 players, you have Division 2 players, you have Division 3 players, you have NIIA sure. players, you have a slew of of talent to really draw from here. That, talent's never really been an issue. Like I go back to one thing that and I know it's not exactly you know an easy slide in here but it's fairly comparable I think to one thing that Josh Schaub had said when we had him on the show back in I believe that'd be June now but he said look as far as the season's concerned we're not really concerned about talent you can find talent that's that's the easiest thing to find and I kind of apply that outward I mean 27 it's still it's not that young if you have a, a limit on it now i grant you it's not gonna be like a full roster 27 year olds you're probably gonna only be a handful of them but even still finding the talent's not really that difficult you can find them it's just a matter of distributing them which i think is more or less the concern that you have is that is there going to be enough talent on each roster so that way you don't have the same three or four clubs that are always at the bottom of the pile? And realistically, I think that answer is yes. I think that there's, again, going to be plenty of talent, and I think you're the same... I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this correctly. It's not a problem that is ever unsolvable talent is at least i think once again there's enough talented ball players out there where you can kind of spread it across here because again you may know that one organization has a better track record for getting guys purchased than another one or has a better reputation about it but does that really matter to you if you sign in let's just use evansville for an example if you sign with evansville and they're a great organization and you're sitting on the bench. Or if you go to a new, and I use new in kind of quotations here, a new organization like Vermont that doesn't have as much of a track record in indie ball and you're playing every day there. And I think that's going to be the, the question a lot of players ask. And a lot of them are going to say, Hey, I'd rather be playing than not playing. And again, sure. there's, there is enough talent, I think at least where you're going to see these teams be able to keep up and stay afloat like that. And also let's not totally distract yourselves from the fact of in a lot of markets, the vast majority of fans don't really care so much about the game on the field. They care about going out and enjoying a night out. Now the talent obviously helps. I'm not going to discredit that, but there's a large aspect of it. And I mean, St. Paul built their whole brand off of this. The baseball game, is something that's happening while you're there but you need to build off of that experience you need to make Mm -hmm. sure that they're coming as an entertainment and not as a baseball fan they want to be entertained and you need to focus on the entertainment aspect almost if not as much as the baseball aspect of it and so i think from a business perspective it will work and as long as the team's making money then the team will stay afloat. And as long as the team's afloat, there's always a good chance at getting talent in there. And it really comes down to just hiring the right people to get talent in there. And sure. I think there are enough players here. And I know I've went way longer on this and kind of restated the same thing a couple of times now, but I, the long and short of it is I think there is enough talent here and that talent is one of the, the lower rungs of concern, at least in my mind, for these teams.
1: Yeah, fair, fair enough. Now, listen. We've talked about the Frontier League a lot, and, and and rightfully so. However, on the flip side, I think we should at least touch on the Atlantic League a little bit in this scenario because, listen, it, it's a missed opportunity. I mean, at the end of the day, would have been a good option for them, and and unfortunately for them, it, it didn't work out. So, it, it's now come down to well. We because do, they don't have a lot of time at this point. We're we we're, we're, we're kind of running against the clock. It, it's got to be, what do they do from here? In my view, I think Lowell is a market you. I, I don't want to say you gotta have, but you really gotta go hard for it. Of course, the New York Penn League market uh, that had some solid attendance, uh, and, and into that New England region. It, it's pretty far north from a lot of other from a lot of other markets that's why you might need a connecticut market in there as well i i think Lowell is probably one that that the atlantic league kind of have to have at this point i don't want to say they i don't want to say they absolutely have to have it
0: but Lowell was like a a like to win type game is where i like to put it like it's a market where before when you thought you were getting dry city you'd like to have Lowell too but now it's kind of turned into more of a, you know, unless we get something else before Lowell falls, they become a must-win. There, it's a lot more of a, a do-or-die situation because Lowell's still in the footprint and right. has is probably one of the better remaining markets.
1: Yeah, and, and as far as like other potential options in in like that Connecticut area. I mean, New Britain signed an extension with their lease. I don't think that's where they should be. Uh, I in my in my view, I don't really think that's where they should be looking uh, to go back into. I don't think there things are going to improve there very much, even with a five year extension on the lease. I mean, does Norwich, Norwich, I Connecticut, mean. become an ish, become a uh, a potential? Place. I mean, I've not been the biggest fan of bringing Atlantic League baseball to Norwich. I don't think the fan base there is as big as an Atlantic League market kind of needs. It needs to survive. Although, I mean, I guess they. I'm sure Norwich doesn't really have many other options at this point. I mean, the Atlantic League at this point, they want to get to eight teams. I, I know. I know they definitely want to avoid the Road Warriors. A 17 league plus the Road Warriors, if they can but at the same time I think they I think Lowell is a market you gotta pursue aggressively and I think you you'd probably need to look into Norwich as well and I think I I think you could potentially check in on Vermont as well one thing is for certain they they have to get going soon because rosters have to start to get kind of I mean signings have to start soon I mean, we still don't know what's going to happen with the former Patriots and Skeeters players. If you want to draw parallels to uh, to the beginning of last year, of uh, uh, the beginning of 2020 pre pandemic, the first signing uh, of the year in the Atlantic League was the Ducks sign- re-signing Davidson Romero, and that was on January seventh, which is which was yesterday uh, pre- before this recording. You guys will hear this on Saturday, so it was Thursday. So there's not a lot of time, and I really think the Atlantic League at this point has got to aggressively pursue bringing in Lowell and potentially looking at other options such as Norwich, maybe Vermont or I mean or maybe, I'm not sure if you have any other markets in mind, but the uh, the once the, the situation that was once there where you had lots of options to pick and choose, I'm not sure they can pick and choose very much anymore.
0: Yeah, like I know I I was speaking to someone and they were saying it seems near certain that they will have eight teams going into this year and that there's still a, a shot, an outside one, at getting to 10 in 2021. I don't see how 10 is going to really be possible unless you're kind of just jamming things in there. I do think they still will get to eight. I mean, you have six solid teams as it is now, so you just need to find two to get to eight. And I haven't heard any rumor of a Road Warrior team coming back, so that's a good sign. I think Lowell you could certainly grab. There's history being in New England with the Atlantic League, certainly uh, Nashua being one of them, uh, a couple other markets as well. Broxton was a team up there for a little bit too. So there is history there. there. Granted, it's been a while since you had a team up in New England, so you definitely don't have much brand familiarity up there, but you can still make it work, certainly. Plus, getting the lowell into the Atlantic League should be fairly easy seeing as the major leagues will cover uh, the three million dollar entrance fee and there seem to be a fan base there obviously they like looking towards the south too so I don't want to rule out like say at Jackson Tennessee yet uh, although I don't really know what the condition of that ballpark is so maybe that alone will rule them out uh, I would normally point to oh well maybe Huntsville or the other market down there, Mobile, would potentially have it. But as we discussed on the Q&A, and a lot of this kind of circles back to, and I'll get to Connecticut in one second, which we also touched on there in that Q&A episode too. There's still a lease that's in place with a guy that doesn't seem to be entirely ready to open it up for a professional team in Mobile. And Huntsville's been kind of vacant for... A handful of years now so it would take time to get that stadium back up and running and you're going to try and bring back and revive a baseball team that's been gone for nearing a half a decade if not already a half a decade away in the middle of a pandemic that doesn't seem like exactly the best business decision but i suppose it's doable um regardless they do seem to be kind of short on markets i will grant you that i think they really need to start to figure out what their end game here is i think you can go into 2021 with a team still i think you could probably say lol you can add there's probably some market that we're not even thinking about that they'll add uh which sounds like a cop-out answer but it, it probably is the case i mean how many of us had gastonia pegged before we found out they're building a stadium and then even before that how many had high point north carolina pegged before they start building a
1: ballpark, yeah, not not many people exactly. Many people.
0: And then when Sugar Land built the ballpark, how many people thought, "Oh, the Atlantic League will go to Texas"? So, I mean, it certainly is. Uh, they're not afraid to go off the map. Let's say so. Who knows where they go from there? But who knows? Maybe even Atlantic City's back on the table. They technically have a ballpark that's sitting oh, dormant. Here right
1: we low. go. Here you we hate go. Atlantic it's City. Atlantic like City talk.
0: You hate this idea, but at the same time, South Jersey needs an indie Ball team. So, I'd be
1: fine is. with it. I just don't. I I, I would be down with the Atlantic City. I just don't see that. And if anyone's like, there's so much, there's so many things that have to happen to to get Atlantic City even remotely ready to host another Atlantic League team again.
0: I'm just saying, maybe. I'm not saying it'll happen. I'm just saying it is technically something that's still on the table, even if it's on the edge of the table. So. It would technically work, even if you need to find some stopgap markets where like membership deals for three years. And then after three years, you say, "Okay, we're in a good enough place. We don't need them anymore and we can move them on to someone else. I think they will get to eight. I don't know where those other two markets are going to come from, if not mass and uh, somewhere in the south. That's all I really have uh, to add on that. I will say, though, there is a rumor that New Britain after that extension wants to go back into pro ball. Which again, if it's not the Frontier League or the Empire League, I don't see where they're going to go. American Association ain't grabbing them, and I don't think the Atlantic League wants to go back into that mess. I mean, the same issues exist. There wasn't a lease problem that forced them out last time. It was uh, the attendance in the ballpark itself that forced them out, and those have not been addressed, at least to my knowledge. And it seems like being in that future college league seem to work out well for them same thing with norwich i think they're better off in a college league than they are in the atlantic league and i think that's just kind of repeating your mistakes supposedly they're still talking with pot which again it just seems like new britain with a bit more history attached to it to be honest i i just don't think it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense to add them in at this time so i'm gonna be interested to see how that pans out i will say though as I just remembered one other thing I would heard during the week and I just kind of like I heard it and then it passed me by but I think it is kind of relevant here too which goes back to when I said the American Association is probably going to get King County because the Cougars would rather be in the American Association than the Frontier League. I'm willing to say we may hear something about that sooner than later because I also remember hearing with one of the guys I was talking about that the American Association is considering bringing in a road team for 21 which would mean you only add in one team because now you need to level everything off and get back to even so to get back to even road warrior team if you can't add somebody else so maybe maybe we'll have movement on Kane county too uh, unrelated to this of course but i just thought i'd throw that in there i'm sure there's a handful of american association fans listening that would be
1: interested in that news yeah for sure i think no matter what happens, there things got to get moving, and I think that that's just the that's just the reality of it. Yeah, no, they
0: have until like I'd say February to release a schedule. I mean, like we heard Billy go. Hopefully, we'll have one towards the end of February. I imagine the Atlantic leagues on a bit of an express timeline, just because they play more games and they start sooner. So, and they play longer too. So, unless you're condensing your schedule down to like the same length as the Frontier League or shorter you need to be moving really quick here. And that starts by figuring out your slate of teams and then figuring out a whole bunch of other things in addition to that. It's a real tricky spot here because you have to kind of manage where you think COVID will be at at what point. So that way you can kind of schedule around that because you need to have fans in attendance here and you're going to need to manage those local guidelines. It really is tough. At least if you can get your slate of teams figured out by, let's say february 1st then you can at least have them outline of a schedule and then just kind of plug and play where you need to but uh, yeah no you're 100 right well when you say we need to get moving on this sooner than later right
1: yeah gotta get moving
0: and we'll end off atlantic league talk here and whatnot we'll go a little bit back in the frontier league talk with some coach talk before we talk uh milb for a little bit here, but I will just end on one thing here. We shouldn't know Gastonia's name next week, I think. Uh, supposedly, well, finally. supposedly, yes. Yeah, finally, right. You'll finally have good news to report from the Atlantic League too. Be good.
1: It's going to be great. I can't wait.
0: Yes. Apparently, they put out a tweet uh, with one twelve twenty one in it, and uh, that was supposed to be the the name announcement, obviously. And then they took the tweet down. So. I'm not sure if they were meaning to post that later on, like maybe beginning of next week, so that way you have more hype that stays longer. You know, if you release it a week in advance, then the hype will die down. But if you release it on, say, Monday or Tuesday of next week, then the hype stays and you keep the attention. I'm not sure that was the goal. I'm not sure if maybe something got delayed in the rollout and they want to push it back a day or two. But uh, I would guess next week or the week after, we'll know their name. Which, finally, on that front, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the name, seeing what the merchandise and everything looks like. It'll be good. Looking forward to that.
1: Yep. and ways. Yep.
0: So on that note, we will switch over to some coaching updates. We have some movement in the world of coaching here, which is, and we'll start with the Frontier League because that's all there is, uh, the Washington manager, Greg Langman, has retired. He finishes 7th all-time in Frontier League wins, 2nd all-time in Washington wins as a manager at 190 wins uh, in Washington. <coughs> and Tom Vaith, the former Winnipeg hitting coach, will take the helm. He'll bring in his, uh I guess, bring in the former player, Alex Boschers. He just retired this offseason. He pitched with Sioux Falls over uh, the 2020 season. He's been around in the general indie ball circuit for about six years now. A talented pitcher, but I guess he said you know it's not going anywhere. It's time to make the switch over into coaching. So Boshers will serve as the pitching coach in Washington. Uh, a little bit more on Vaith, though. He spent 17 years in Winnipeg and almost got named the manager of Clyburn in the 1819 offseason, I guess it would be. Uh, so it would have been the manager going into the 19th season. Uh, so he's clearly been around. He's coached for a while. He knows the American Association very well. This will probably, I'd imagine, baseball knowledge is pretty transferable, manage to go over with him into Washington. And it will be very interesting to see what Washington looks like this year. They clearly have guys with experience and, well, I guess, not total experience in the case of Boschers, but... They have a nice mix here going in, so I'm curious to see what the wild things look like in 21.
1: Yeah, I, I think this this seems like an excellent hire, and really, it, it's funny because you you look at specifically, I think more in like the NFL world, you really look for assistants and other top teams to then take the reins of their own team. This is kind of a good good example of that. I mean, there, there's not many there's not many better and more successful. Uh, independent League franchises, obviously they had a disappointing year this year with the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, but hey, it was it was 60 games. Uh, but, I mean, it, the, the Winnipeg Gold Eyes have been, have been consistently good for a while now, uh, and it seems like th- that's... I really like the route that Washington is taking here, bringing in uh, Vaitha, who was the hitting coach, for for a long time for winnipeg uh obviously learned on, under one of the best as well so i i think that even though you're going from the american association to the frontier league i think you could potentially bring some of those younger he, he knows some of those younger american association guys maybe didn't have as much success in the american association but knows that they have more potential and you could bring them into the frontier league with the Washington wild Things. So to be honest with you, I, th- I really think it was a very good hire and I'm interested to see how, how it works out.
0: Yeah, no, I think it was very, very cool hire as well. And then in addition to that too, you mentioned maybe he could bring in some guys that didn't quite pan out in the American association over to the frontier league. If you're around for 17 years, you make a lot of contacts around indie ball. For sure. So he definitely has contacts here. So Perhaps when guys don't pan out in the American Association, maybe he gets that report first, or at least coming out of Winnipeg, and if they're eligible to play in the Frontier League, perhaps he's able to snatch a gem before anyone else can. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, last bit of coaching news before we move on to MILB. Cam Roth, you might remember him. He was the manager of Lake Erie, won 197 games over his time as uh, the manager of the Crushers and manager of the year in 2019. Uh He will now return to the Frontier League as the pitching coach for Gateway. Obviously, Steve Brooke held this position, or a uh, I guess he did hold it in 2020, although he never really had to do much with it, seeing as he didn't play. But when Steve wound up going to Ottawa, that position became vacant. So cam roth will move into it uh if you're wondering why he you know he is seemingly taking a downgrade that's because he was with the tigers organization in 2020 and i guess that didn't quite work out but he is a talented manager i will say that much and uh, he looks to definitely add a lot of depth to that gateway coaching staff
1: yeah yeah i i mean to me obviously it, it it's a it's a terrific hire by Gateway, I mean, bringing in a guy with, who's as good of a, a coach or manager as, as Cam Roth is, I mean, that's that's a huge win for them, specifically on the pitching side. I mean, the, Crusher, the Crushers were a terrific pitching team back in 2019. And he also won Man- Frontier League Manager of the Year in 2019, so th- he, I don't view this as a long-term move for him. I mean, we, we talked about the Tigers move, although I am a little surprised that with so many new teams coming into the, either the Frontier League or eventually into the Atlantic League and whatnot, I'm surprised he didn't get, or or at least didn't wait to see maybe if he could have gotten the Tri-City job, you know? Uh, I, I, cause I, th- I think that could have been, that would have been a good hire for them as well. So I, I'm a little, I'm a little curious as to why he kind of jumped, uh, in, at being the pitching coach for Gateway when there were, more opportunities that were potentially opening up Uh, i think tri-city being being the one that we obviously definitely know is open up is has opened up at this point so i mean it's a great hire by gateway i I, i'm a little i'm a little surprised that he didn't wait to maybe see if he could try and get the tri-city job but maybe that's just me
0: i think under normal circumstances yeah he probably would have but given that 2020 you know there really wasn't baseball played. I'm not sure how well that the minor league staffs were paid. I'm not sure they got paid their full salaries or not. I'm not sure if it was, you know, how that was handled. So if it wasn't, you know, fully paid out, then it may just be a financial situation where it's like, look, I didn't have as much revenue as I expected in 2020. So I need to kind of, you know, say one in hand is worth two in the bush. I know I'll have a job in Gateway and... And before they fill that position, let me jump on that. I could always, you know, find a manager job elsewhere. Uh So I agree with you. It's not going to be a long term thing, but I think it was more or less one in the hand is worth two in the bush type situation here where it became. All right. Let me secure a job for 2021 and then we can look towards the future from there. I mean, in all of Indie Ball, that's going to be so vast. Uh, now with the addition of all these new teams that will be coming in and tri-city obviously and hopefully vermont lexington kane county you know the whole shtick of them uh regardless of the league they wind up in not all these managers are going to work out in an addition to the ones that already exist there's going to be guys that are going to retire there's going to be guys that are going to leave for other positions there's going to be guys that wind up going to affiliated ball there's going to be guys that wind up retiring there's going to be guys that go to go on to do other things with their lives. So there's going to be openings and that's the one guarantee across sports. It doesn't really matter when or what happened, but there will always be openings and opportunities. So I imagine it's just, you know, let's get our feet again. Let's secure some revenue for at least the summer months or at least 21. And then we can look towards 22 when that happens. I think it's kind of the deal here.
1: Yeah, I I, I could definitely see that. Um, uh, especially that that payroll aspect you mentioned. So that, that could that could have definitely been a possibility. But I, I don't view Cam Roth as being the uh long term pitching coach for the gate for Gateway. That's just that's just how I feel it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you on that front. I don't think this is a, a permanent solution here. I mean, same thing with Steve Brooke when they hired him. He was a great hire and I think it was kind of a mutual understanding of look if I get an offer to manager job, I'm gonna take it. So I just want you to know that going in, and I think it's the same deal here. And if you're Gateway, why wouldn't you be fine with that? I mean, you had to have an amazing staff for at least one year. And it's quite clear now they don't have a problem replacing these positions.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right.
0: Plus, also, if you think about it in the immediate term, there's a lot of other guys that are going to be going for these openings, too. You have guys like Brett Jody, jo- George Samus, among others. Uh, oh, 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 Pete and Cogniglia, too, as well. Those are three names off the bat that all command a lot of respect in that whole community, so why potentially risk that? Plus, there's other guys that I know for a fact have been interviewing with a lot of positions that are well-known and well-liked in the community as well, so there's a lot of competition right now because everyone sees these openings, so you might as well wait a little bit and see how everything plays out.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I see I see what you're saying. So yeah. yeah. But I, I guess I guess we'll see what happens there.
0: Exactly. So uh with that we now go to the last bit of news we have, but it's an entertaining piece of news at that and will definitely get us over the hour mark, I can guarantee you that which is the MILB season has been delayed. It was announced on Tuesday, or at least we found out on Tuesday, that single and double A spring training will be delayed till after the uh, Major League Baseball and triple A spring trainings. Uh, this is mainly done out of COVID prevention. They don't want that many people at the same facility at the same time, so if you spread it out and reduce the number of people there, then you obviously reduce the chance of somebody catching COVID. And if one person gets COVID, then you Essentially, I have to shut down the whole spring training facility, retest everybody, isolate the ones that were, you know contacted or contracted COVID rather and then came in contact with the people that tested positive and it becomes a whole mess and it really derails all of spring training and could jeopardize your readiness going into the season so it makes sense from that perspective because you figure most guys on the double and single a level were not making the big club anyway so there really is no rush there however it does impact in the independent leagues seeing as and we'll talk more about this the majority of the rosters for independent league teams or well at least a large portion of it comes from guys that are cut from the double and single a camps i mean this is where your roster is built plus a lot of these guys they wind up going to the tryouts and whatnot and getting seen there and that's how indie ball finds them and obviously the the cut list that gets sent around in a slew of other ways there, but this is a large portion of how indie clubs stock the roster. It will be interesting to see how this plays out. And I guess I'll let, we'll uh, kind of take the lead on this here.
1: I mean, first of all, from the MLB perspective, it, it seems like a pretty good decision. You don't want hundreds of players or however many players in, a, in at the spring training facility at the same time, uh, especially, Especially, I, I mean, it, it makes sense. So, I mean, you're probably not going to have guys that, you're probably not going to have guys that are vaccinated at this point. You, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to kind of split that up as much as you can. I mean, obviously you need AAA to go with the MLB in case, unless the MLB teams need to call up those guys. So it makes a lot of sense from that standpoint. However, you mentioned it, Nick. A lot, so many of these Atlantic League teams, are really looking for guys that have, that get released out of minor league camps to bring it, to bring onto their rosters. And that goes from the Frontier League to the American Association to the Atlantic League. Uh, that, that's all the same. And so if that minor league camp is now instead of mid, mid to late February through March and now go, instead goes from March to m- instead goes from the beginning of April, probably through all the way through the month of April, then you're probably starting your, your minor league season, maybe the second week of may, you know, that, that kind of changes things specifically for the Atlantic league, who in a normal season and a normal eight with an 18 league and 144 game season, or excuse me, 140 game season, you're, you're starting the last week of April. Now that doesn't really seem so realistic. So I'm not sure if it completely changes. I think the Frontier League probably isn't too affected by this just because, I mean, you'll have a lot of guys that are maybe thrown onto the roster late, but as far as a start date on like Memorial weekend or so, Memorial Day weekend or so, I don't think that it changes things too much from the Frontier League perspective. Maybe the American Association also has to push back a little, like a a week or two. I don't think that's too big of a deal there. Uh, but for the Atlantic League, it's a pretty big deal. So I I think it'll be interesting to see what the Atlantic League does when they put out a schedule. You'd have to think it's affected by this just because you're not going to have your roster set for opening day. And then when guys get cut out of spring training, you're then flipping 10 different guys in and out to start the year. I mean, that's just not really how, that's just not really the recipe for, for a good team. So I think that It's kind of inevitable at this point that the Atlantic League is not going to start the last on the last week of of April. I think you're probably looking at the third or fourth week of May, uh, and maybe maybe even going back to that Memorial Day weekend where everybody kind of starts at the same time. Now, does this change? Or maybe the Atlantic League is having their playoffs? um, Has their playoffs go through mid October? Maybe where does winter ball come into that? There's a lot of questions. Uh, specifically from the Atlantic league perspective that are going to have to be answered as a result of this, because I don't think there's any way you could start. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's any way you could, you could really start an Atlantic league season in the last week of April, like you normally would with, so with the knowledge that so many guys are going to be released from spring training. And those are guys you're definitely going to look at bringing in. I, I just think that you're definitely going to, if you're an Atlantic League fan, I, I I would probably be expecting a start in mid to late May because of this.
0: See, I do want to point say one thing before I, I continue on with that. I wonder where guys that got a minor league contract but an invite to spring training fall in here. Would they fall in with that major league camp or would they fall in with the Double A camp?
1: Well, I, I think that that's up to the discretion of the uh, of the team. I think that if if the minor if it's a minor league deal but you're competing but you can still compete for a spot on the big league roster then i think you're in, in in big league camp so i think that um i i honestly even though it's maybe not the best answer i think the i think the only real possibility there is well it's, it's up to the discretion of the team of who like out of like their their roster and who's still under contract and uh who got who gets a spring training invite you have a certain amount of guys that you can invite to MLB slash AAA spring training. And whoever you want to invite, you can invite. But you can't go over that number. So it, to be honest with you, I, I think it applies to both. But as far as which one, I think that's got to be under the discretion of the MLB team.
0: That's going to lead to a lot of players having a lot of hurt feelings over this. That's, that's yeah. all I'm going to add there. If you if you assign a contract with the understanding you're going to spring training, I know as a player, I would expect I'd be with, you know, the big club and fighting for a chance to earn a spot on the major league roster. And if you're going to tell me now I'm delayed, like even two weeks and I have to play with double and single A guys that quite frankly, if two of them make a roster across all of major league baseball, that'll be a bit surprising. I'd be, I'd be very, I'd be livid personally, but Regardless, yeah. yeah, regardless, I guess back to the main point here. I don't think the Frontier League and the American Association are going to be as affected. If you check their transaction page, they've been very active so far, signing guys, getting guys in. So they'll be fine for the most part. They'll have a team to field. And all will be well there. Plus, they have a traditional late start of Memorial Day weekend anyway. You know, mid May, end of May anyway. So I don't really see them getting affected all too much. It's going to be fairly standard business as usual uh, for them at least. I would imagine now the Atlantic League again. That's that's another story. Uh, this is they haven't done anything transaction wise yet. Uh, if you want to look at the transaction page, I think since October there's may have been five or six, if that. Um, And
1: then even those were just like the kind of, for lack of a better term, loans to American Association teams that are now being returned, that their rights are being returned to the Atlantic League club. Trust me, I wish there were transactions. I'd be be all over posting those transactions. Oh, yeah, they're just housekeeping at this point there's been none <laughs>
0: yeah it's just housekeeping moves but yeah yeah so their rosters are traditionally built towards the end i i remember this too because every year we do the preview show for the leagues and everything and the atlantic league is traditionally the one that waits for forever to finalize the roster like the day before opening day so i am at the last minute trying to look over stats for every player on each team and throw together a video or a podcast or something going through each of them, and then throwing it out there, only for it to be going out of style and out of date within a week, which obviously is uh, disheartening to see. But uh, regardless, enough of my complaining, the point here is they're going to be affected by this, but I wonder how much that this actually affects them. Uh, let me explain. Were we realistically expecting to start on time anyway before this? With a schedule not out yet, without a team list yet, without really anything you need yet in place,
1: I probably not now. Yeah,
0: exactly. So if they were going to be delayed from that end of uh, end of April start anyway, and go to let's say mid May anyway, does this? How much does this really affect them? To be honest, like if you assume we're not going to have a schedule till end of like mid February beginning of February then like it it really doesn't affect much here because they're already going to have to cut games in the beginning. Now, the point that you raised is very interesting is about winter ball because I don't think a lot of these guys are willing to uh stick around the Atlantic League if it means missing their winter ball or not being able to play winter ball. I think they'll be more than happy to to you know cut the last month of the Atlantic League season by whatever means possible. But I will say this much, I think the Atlantic League's going to have to eat this one. I don't think they can go deep into October. I think they're going to have to keep the usual like slate and cut it down to like 96 games. I don't see any way they're going to be able to avoid that. And they're going to be basically on the same plane as the American Association, the Frontier League, roughly the same amount of games, roughly the same starting point, roughly speaking they'll go a little longer, about a month longer than them. So that's really where they're going to hope to make up revenue. But I I don't see any way that they can realistically get 126 games in unless we have a team list and a schedule and they start signing guys and all of this gets moving by like a week from now.
1: Well, we've been saying for a while that, well, things got to get moving and they, you know, they haven't really got moving. I think you're right they because player and the last thing you want trust me the last thing you want is having to replace half your roster for the playoffs i mean yeah. that's that's just not something that's going to happen it's not feasible so, so i mean yeah i mean if you're looking at they might have to eat it with like a 110 game season or or however many unless this gets moving quickly um i don't yeah i think you're right i don't i don't i don't see uh, I mean, uh, their normal 140 pro- definitely isn't a possibility 126 is looking more unlikely by the day um, unless you kind of come to an understanding with, with teams that hey we're going to try and start in, at the end of April first week of May anyway and we'll worry about and we'll take a look at guys who are cut from spring training once it happens I mean, that's a possibility. I mean, yeah, I mean,
0: but then again though, you still have an issue because I mean at end of April, you have to assume CoVID's still going to be a major issue. and if it's still a major issue and you can't have that many fans in attendance in some areas, then you can't play. I mean, like that's something
1: else have to factor in too. I agree, but I, I don't it, as if the maximum capacity is 50%, I don't think that's that big of a deal. Because on most night, unlike I mean weekends, it'll hurt you a little bit. But I think Atlantic League teams have been able to survive for a while now, especially with certain teams that are um, that don't really even. I mean, you look at teams like Southern Maryland and and even some games with Lancaster and uh, High Point as well in their first year. I I don't think a, a, if they're saying well you can't have Past fifty percent capacity. I don't know if it hurts them that much.
0: I mean, fair enough. But the the main issue here is really coming down to: can everybody, you know, host teams? Like, let's say it gets really bad in North Carolina, in Gastonia, and High Point can't host anybody. I know that's a really large stretch right now, especially seeing as every day we set a new high for deaths. But let's just say that they're in a position where they can't host anybody or they're limited to, like, 10% capacity. But meanwhile, the Pennsylvania teams, they can go up to 50. Long Island can go up to, let's say, uh, 30%. Southern Maryland can go to 40% and things like that. Do you just say, well, we're not going to use the North Carolina teams and they can rejoin whenever they're allowed to have fans in attendance? Because just financially speaking, if you could only have, like, 10 to 20%, I don't know if they can afford to play.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, 10%, goodness, no. You're not going to... Teams aren't going to survive that way. I think... I I mean, listen, Nick. I I think that so much of this, not just in the Atlantic League, not just in Indie Ball, but in, in all of sports, in all of entertainment, it depends on how... One, effective the vaccine is. It from everything we've been hearing so far, it sounds pretty promising. And two, the distribution, which I mean to be quite honest, has been a little bit behind schedule so far. And if it continues this way, and vaccines are not available to the general public yet, I, I mean you're kind of looking at. I mean that that that's a legitimate possibility, but I think it's kind of at this point you kind of just have to hope. And I know hope is a is a a really bad word because ever, cause I, I was hoping a lot in 2020 and didn't get any of it and didn't get any of my hopes and wishes uh, for, for baseball. So I, I think that, I, I think that you're kind of just hoping that the vaccines are, the vaccines are red- readily available. I think that impacts not just Indie ball, but certainly the MLB as well. I mean, maybe the, you're looking at, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs as well. So I, I think that that all comes down to how quickly vaccines can get, dish- can get um, distributed. And hopefully that can start to uh, go a little bit faster than it has so far, or else maybe these are legitimate conversations we have to have if we're into March and early April and we're still on the cat- category number two, you know, or yeah. category, uh, or we're still on um people over the age of 65 because mm. if that's the case we could be in some trouble for for a baseball season no doubt
0: yeah uh, ultimately though I think just to get back on topic I think the the real question here is less uh how much does the milb season delay affect it I think it's more what are the circumstances around the world that affects the season and of itself? I, I'll reiterate what I said a little earlier, which is getting players is never really the issue. You can get players. It's a matter of can you play?
1: Yeah, I mean that, that's the problem now and you just you just hope and by the time April rolls around and spring rolls around that that things are better uh, because I mean, you certainly know as well as I know, these indie ball teams cannot go two years without playing. They just can't. Oh, absolutely it, and that, not. That, that that that's that's the reality. It it, it doesn't. I mean, you, you can even make the argument that MLB teams can't go two years without hosting fans. To be honest with you,
0: two years so, without the vast majority of your revenue, your main, your breadwinner, that's not sustainable. It it's not. Just yeah, it's, there's no way.
1: It's, it's not. It's not sustainable, and so unfortunately you just got you just gotta hope for the vaccine distribution to go a little faster and then we'll, we'll have to see.
0: Exactly. so on that very happy note, I guess we've kind of reached the end of the line here and uh, we could kind of go to the plugs and everything here because uh, I think we've kind of talked this one to death and uh, with that said, uh, if you'd like to follow the show, this is just such an awkward uh, transition here. I, I really want to <laughs> point that out. Uh,
1: we, we understand. Your, if you are feeling uncomfortable right now, we would just like to say we understand.
0: Oh, absolutely. We, we, we get, we come from here and uh, yeah. So if you, if you want to follow the show online, you could do so on Twitter, Indie ball pod, uh, Instagram, ALPB underscore news, Indie ball report, uh, the website, Indie got the show notes. So links to everything we, talked about here and as well as the all the episodes articles that i haven't touched since really i think october so uh, i should probably write one of those probably well in the near future and uh, yeah there's some other stuff up there too you could check a look at that uh, follow the show uh wherever you find podcasts tune in Stitcher, Spotify, Deezer, Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you know, wherever you find podcasts, we're there probably. Uh, Rate, review that. Uh, I guess I'll end this show uh, uh, with asking, uh, do we have anything else left to add this week? Or... uh
1: Oh boy, do I have something I'm gonna, to add? I'm going to intercept Firestone. you before,
0: before you start talking about it because I know exactly what you're going to talk about. I'm going to, no, I
1: am fired up. I'm
0: going to cut in here and just add my thing first because otherwise I won't get to add it because we're both going to be going at this. The NHL putting uh, ads on helmets. Not a fan of that. Don't like it. That's the first step it to putting ads matter, on. That's the first step to putting ads on jerseys. I don't want it. I want it nowhere near the game. I don't care that I can't really see it. I don't care that it's minor. This is the first step, and they will never go away. Once it's there, it will never, ever, ever go away. And this is the first uh, step to putting an ad on the jersey, which is just wrong on so many levels.
1: I, I have a, I have a bigger problem with putting ad with, with with uh selling the naming rights of the divisions.
0: That's that's bad too. Like I want to know if you win the East Division this year, does it be on your banner? It's go twenty twenty one season Metro East Division presented by Mass Mutual Champion. <laughs> like that is the corporate ad on it the better banner or not? Like technically, they bought the rights to the division, like to sponsor the division this year. So I could see the case to be made, but uh, it would just be very awkward to see like. Hanging from the rafters of like one of these historic buildings, like like Madison Square Garden or the Boston Garden part two, I guess it technically is, or yeah. the Bell Centre up in Montreal or whatever it may be. You just see hanging from the rafters, North Division champion, sponsored by Scotia,
1: or <laughs> like uh, what is it, uh, Scot's or what? I don't remember what it's. It,
0: the Central Division was Discover, I know. Uh, yeah. the East. Where, like, the Rangers and Devils and all them are. That's Mass Mutual. The North is Scotia. And then... Mm. I forget what the West is. I didn't really care about it. The fact that I know Probably, this is problematic. Because that means their ad worked. And that means they're going to consider keeping it.
1: The They're not going to turn down money.
0: Exactly. It, once again, that's why I'm vehemently against ads on any of the equipment. Because once it's there, it never goes away. And now... If I was a goalie too, I'd be selling ad space on my helmet because I, clearly that's allowable now. And if they give me shit for it, I'm gonna go. Well, then you take the ads off of our helmets. We better be getting a large cut of that money.
1: I don't mind it to be honest with
0: you. I don't like it's it. Kind of, I think it's. I, I, under, I
1: under I will say. I understand your point. I, it's just not something. I. It, it doesn't really bug me. Like just for like a small patch on a uniform doesn't doesn't really bug me too much.
0: It just, it bothers me a lot. It just, it goes against it. Like, it's one thing in basketball and baseball to have an ad on there. But, like, a hockey jersey is just, there's something about it. Like, with the culture of the game and the history of it, to put an ad on it just seems, it just seems wrong on so many levels. That's all I wanted to add. Okay, I fair enough. Against that. Now, I assume we're going to talk about how, you know the Philadelphia Eagles did the right thing by tanking the game and improving the draft position. And how you totally agree with that decision in every shape and form, and how the Giants were not at all robbed of a postseason spot because they're six and ten. Nick,
1: I, I, I'm pretty sure I messaged you pretty soon after. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I sent you the
0: thing. I was like, I guess you're gonna want to talk about this. He's like, I found my topic.
1: I found my topic. I've been ready to go for a week. Okay. <laughs> Now, I you, I'm going to, pre- I'm going to preface this by saying, congratulations to the Washington, I am a Giants fan, if you didn't know. So I'll just start that with that. I'll, I'll just start it with that. Get it out of the way. Congratulations to the Washington football team.
0: Hail to the football team.
1: Hail to the football team. Congratulations to them. They are, they are the best, they are the best team in the NFC East, I believe. Uh, they are deserving of a playoff spot. And, uh, Ron, I mean, I, I, I despise the owner, but I mean.
0: Who doesn't? You're not
1: gonna, you're not gonna find a better guy than Ron Rivera in sports. I mean, especially in football. Alex Smith, awesome story. I hope they beat Tom Brady. Now, I am not saying the Giants are deser, are somehow deserving of a playoff spot at six and 10. They are not. However, for the Eagles, to absolutely, or, well, not the Eagles so much, cause the players played their hearts out. They did. They did. And, and uh, and I, I will say, as a Giants fan watching that game, I really appreciated the effort of the Eagles, and specifically the Eagles defense, who played out of their minds the whole night to essentially, um, to, to hold a playoff team to 20 points. I, I thought that the defense played out of their minds. They played awesome. And I thought, even though Jalen Hurts' stat line didn't look too great, I thought he played hard, too. And, I mean, the players, this is not on the players. Doug Peterson, absolutely, I, I have never seen in my entire life a guy who, I and listen, I understand the draft pick implications. I'm a Giants fan. We've picked in the top six or whatever for the last four years. I get it. However, the organization's tank, players and coaches do not. That is that is just the fact if you and if you want to sit out guys before the game and say this guy's not going to play today, this guy's not going to play today, this guy's not going to play. I don't have an issue with that. However, you sitting up there when you have and it's not like you're resting players for the playoffs because you're not. I don't have an issue with that either. But you have you have nothing to play for. And instead of trying to win the game. And, and try to keep a division rival from celebrating on your home field. You decide to intentionally lose a game. You're the head coach and you, and not to mention you have families who, I mean, you have players who have skipped Thanksgiving and skipped Thanksgiving gatherings and skipped Christmas gatherings and have gotten COVID tested every single day for months. Since August, they have gotten te- coronavirus tested every single day. They've worn masks uh, all the time when they're not playing. It is They have put up so much of a sacrifice, and their families have put up so much of a sacrifice for you to just go out there and intentionally lose a game. 'Cause that's what he did. He intentionally lost a game. I don't care what playoff implications were on the line. If you want to set out players prior to the game, I have no issue with that. However, in a three point game where players, especially in football, this is, this isn't even so much like basketball and baseball or whatever, you can pitch somebody bad and whatnot. It's not the same. Because in football, you have to be you have to be emotionally charged up. You're trying to take somebody else's head off. It is a close game there i mean emotions are flying it's a it, it, it's a really great football game and you decide to pull the plug to get a some sort of evaluation on your backup quarterback who quite frankly should not be in the NFL you needed to put him in the fourth quarter of a three-point game against Washington to know that he's bad you have training camp for that you buffoon you have the preseason for that You have all that time to evaluate your backup quarterback position, quote unquote, for next year. You do not see, need to see what Nate Sudfeld has to do. And you have the audacity to go up there at, in the press conference and say, we were, oh, I was coaching to win. You could not possibly tell me that putting Nate Sudfeld at quarterback. Over Jalen Hurts gave you the best opportunity to win. It's disrespectful to the players. It's disrespectful to your fans because, and and while some of those, some Eagles fans were happy, and I understand why you wanted to pick six instead of nine. I get it. But there are are people who put, invest money in you. and, And really, JJ Watt said it best. I mean, you have fans that still care about you, and it is an absolute embarrassment that and I've never seen it before, that a coach in a close game just decided, no, we're going to lose. And it's sad because no matter what their records were, the Cowboys and the Giants played a even though it was a messy game earlier in the day that was not particularly well played they played all out in that early window to play for a chance to get to the playoffs in a, in a game where they really, and 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 at the end of the day, they didn't have a chance. They didn't have a chance because the Eagle, because Doug Peterson knew going into the game that he was going to intentionally lose the game, no matter what the score was and no matter how well Jalen hurts or his defense played, that's a shame. And it's really a shame because that's not what sports are about. And and it's sickening that at the end of the day, Sports has come down to not. I mean, sports is entertainment. Sports, of course, is competition. And at the end of the day, we're less about winning. And teams would rather like have a winning season and miss the playoffs. They would instead they would rather have a top draft pick. I mean, this has seriously become a instead of being an average team. I, instead of that, let's just lose. And people don't understand that losing cultures exist. And now Doug Peterson's going to sit up there with his Eagles players next year and trying to fire them up and getting them to play hard. I mean, they they shouldn't they shouldn't respect that man once. And I really hope the Giants and Eagles play, even though it's not really about the Giants. But I really hope the Giants and Eagles play so the Giants can absolutely blast them in Week One next year. That would be awesome. But it is such a shame that a coach, not players. And not even general managers, who I expect to tank and who tank all the time. I mean, Jacksonville, it's pretty obvious they their, yeah. their organization was trying to tank. But a coach in the middle of a game intentionally fixed and lost the game. I mean, that is disgraceful. It, it is absolutely beyond me. I have never seen it before. And Doug Peterson should be ashamed of himself. That is the end of my rant.
0: All I'm gonna say is I think the Jet fans really wish Doug Peterson was their head coach because they'd be taking Sam. Uh, they wouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> they wouldn't be picking two. They'd be picking one right now. Uh, no,
1: I, I'm sure they do. But you, the coaches are not supposed to be the ones trying to lose the game. All
0: right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna retort to that because I have a pretty uh, opposite opinion of the whole thing. One, going into the game, Peterson said, "We want to get subfield reps." I understand it's a close game, but it's a meaningless game. If I'm a coach at this point, to be quite honest, win or lose, I don't really care. has no implication for me. I could care less. Two, uh, going into that game, my plan was to play the kid, I'm playing the kid. Three, uh, culture and whatnot, I understand that. We've seen that across various sports uh, about that. But at the same time, uh, most of the guys that got an issue with it, They're on one-year contracts. Uh, Quite frankly, they weren't getting brought back anyway. It's clear the Eagles are making the decision that now is the time to tear down and rebuild, so you're going to be losing games anyway and I don't really want to hear anything about the culture of the room you're a 4-10-1 team coming into the day there is no winning culture you won four games you barely eked out a tie against Joe Burrow and you still lost 10 games and for some miracle we're still in playing this division when in any other division you would have been out of contention by probably about week 11 week 12 so winning culture not winning culture this may be the knife in the heart of it but it didn't exist to begin so so I, that I just don't really care about. I understand where the criticism comes in about running a third-string quarterback because technically Sudfield's not really a backup. Wentz is, if you really want to get down to it, more of a backup or start or whatever the hell he really is. But Sudfield's the definitive third man the string there. But I get that. At the same time, though, if I'm Doug Peterson, I know that I've gotten assurances my job is safe. I'm going to do what I have to do to make the team better next year. And if that means I got to lose a game that means like nothing to me, then I absolutely will do it. I understand that it's not exactly great. I understand when you look at Kelsey and when you look at Ertz, that's not exactly the way you want things to end, particularly with Ertz, because let's be honest, he's not coming back. He wasn't coming back anyway beforehand. It just doesn't make sense. You have his replacement already drafted who looks good. He's an older tight end. It makes all the sense in the world to just let him walk. I get it same time though i don't really have a problem with it i it is what it is yeah he tanked so what i guarantee you a lot more coaches do that than want to admit it through just little things here now doug peterson just went full mask off and said yep no i'm tanking. i have no problem with it and then when you say he has the audacity to say you tried to win in the press conference. He has to say that. He doesn't really have a choice. You're supposed to say, "Yeah, I tried to win." You can't go out there and say, "I intentionally tried to lose." We all know what you were trying to do. We get it, but you just can't say that.
1: No, here's what I would I, I would bring up this example from 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 last season, right? The the Giants were the Giants were what I think four and eleven going into week seventeen. They were playing the Eagles at home in, in the pouring rain. It, it was I was there. It was a miserable game. Anyway, uh, so in that scenario, the Eagles won the NFC East with a win, and the Cowboys were one game back, and they needed a win against Washington and uh, and an Eagles loss to get into the playoffs. This is the equivalent because going into the fourth quarter of that Giants Eagles game, the score was seventeen to seventeen. So it was a pretty similar situation. This is the equivalent of the Giants and Pat Shermer pulling Daniel Jones out of the game to see what Alex Taney could do. And they should have done this it. The they should have done it. I will defend This is the equivalent of doing it. No, you shouldn't have done they it. They
0: absolutely but- should have. Because what did you gain by still losing that game? Nothing. What would you have gained by winning that game? Great. A coach that's on his way out the door builds a better culture for the next guy coming in. What the hell do I care about that? Moreover, again, if they, I, I don't see what the problem here is. Again, like you improve the team's draft position. You improve for the future. A bit ago, you said teams either they want to be at the bottom or they want to be in the playoffs. They don't want to be average. Of course you don't want to be average. The mushy middle is the god awful worst place to be. That's purgatory an, when you it, make the an playoffs and you bounce in the first sense. round.
1: No. from an organizational standpoint, I get that, but not from a coach and a player perspective.
0: The, I didn't say the players weren't trying to tank. The players were going out there and doing what they the best they could. Doug Peterson is part of that organizational structure, though. The coaches are part of that structure. Let's be clear on that. The people whose death warrants you were already expand. signed were signed. This game is not changing any of that.
1: Now, and again, it's not like, for example, let's, let's take Jacksonville or the Jets, for example. This is It's not like they, uh, when they were, or let's use the Jets, I guess, a better example, because they were in the driver's seat for the number one pick for a while. It's not like in the Rams game they decided, oh, let, let's see what, uh, what's his name, James Morgan can do in, in, in the Jet game. To be like, fair. They probably should
0: have done that. I mean, if they're not confident they really Sam
1: Darnold, done that.
0: <laughs> like, if you're not confident the guy you have is going to be your guy going forward, and you've already seen plenty out of him, because at this point, I think we've already kind of seen plenty of uh, Sam Darnold, at least what he's going to do as a Jet, then let's try some other options here. Now, okay, I next- Grant, I understand the idea of willingly losing is not a palatable one, but at the same time. I don't have a problem with that if it improves the team over a long period of time. Nick, it,
1: are the, were the Eagles not a Did Did the Eagles, I mean, it's not like the Eagles were were playing a guy, a quarterback who's definitely on his way out. You need to evaluate Jalen Hurts. And and you're telling me, oh, we've seen enough of Jalen Hurts after three and a half games?
0: I mean, who else is going to be your option? Are you going to waste more draft capital on it? Either way, you're I mean, going no, into the season with a quarterback. Hard.
1: They could potentially go back to Wentz. That they that ship's sailed. He's demanded a trade out of him.
0: town. He does not want to be there. Eagle fans are on the verge of chasing him over the bridge, so uh, Wentz is no longer an option. That that ship has long since sailed.
1: I I don't know if that's the case because because there's no team that's going to trade for him with that. So contract. They're going to be eating
0: and, that contract when they wind up cutting him.
1: Well, if you cut him, you're still paying. There's still a cap hit of twenty nine million over the next two years.
0: I mean, is it better than just having a dude that's extremely unhappy and can't play football very well there, eating up more of your cap?
1: Well, it's not. It's not about him eating more of the cap. It's it's you're either pay, you're paying him one more or the other. So, exactly. he, so you even might even as well not have him there.
0: there.
1: I don't. I don't know if you could have a guy eating up that much of your cap who's not there.
0: I mean, you absolutely. It's better than having a guy that's just not productive there, does not want to be there. That's more of a culture problem going forward than losing a game in the manner that it did happen. Plus, I don't think that contract's untradeable. I mean, it's very clear that you can trade bad contracts. Look at Nick Folds and look at Mike Glennon. Not as yeah. bad, but they're still pretty damn bad. You may have to throw a sweetener in. You may have to throw a mid-round pick for someone to take it and take out a pretty bad contract with less term coming back. But you can move it. Moving bad contracts is certainly a
1: doable thing. I don't i wouldn't say it's likely that they could they could do it for once unless there's a team like uh maybe, unless there's a team that's confident they can fix him and they'll give up a seventh for him i don't know we'll see
0: i think you could do it he still has high round pick prestige on him he showed enough in the past i think you can move him. i think he's a lot more movable than people want to acknowledge
1: okay i mean i guess uh, I, I guess we'll see what happens there. But yeah, that that is my rant about a coach deliberately fixing a game. The the last thing I'll say is, I want to see your thoughts on this too. Okay. Do you think the NFL needs a draft lottery? No. Why not?
0: because I don't think draft flowers actually help. I think they hurt bad teams more, more often than not. Teams still tank. Look at the NF, look at the NHL. The Detroit Red Wings were quite clearly attempting to tank for like the last two years and they've gotten jack shit out of it. They got the yeah. fourth or fourth overall pick when they rightfully deserved the first overall team, uh, first overall pick. Likewise, when Colorado was really, really bad, uh, it, didn't really help them at all. Like, we all forget how truly terrible that one Colorado team was the first year Bettner was there. Like, the Barry Colts of the OHL had more points in the same amount of games than the Colorado Avalanche did. I want to point that out. A major junior team had more points in their respective league than Colorado did because Colorado had less than 50 points in an 82-game season where conceivably you can have over 160. I want to point that out. They're historically terrible. And they got not the first, not the second, but I think it was they wound up picking third or fourth overall that year. Likewise with the NHL draft lottery too, you see a team like, and I'm very happy that Alexei Lafreniere is a New York Ranger, but we do not deserve that pick. No. Carolina does not deserve to have Evgeny Sveshnikov, but yet they do. Every couple of years, there's a team that jumps up way too high and doesn't deserve the pick they got, but they get it anyway. I don't like that system. I don't think it works that well. The NBA, I'm not very familiar with it because I'm not an NBA fan, but I will tell you this much from the very little I do know, I think there was teams that deserve Zion a bit more than the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, now, granted, they have gotten tanking down to an art over there as well, but I will say I, I don't think draft lotteries work as well. Plus, likewise, the aspect that we all overlook here, you still need to develop the prospect. Just having a higher pick gives you more options. You could trade the pick. You could conceivably just draft someone with it. You could draft someone and then trade the player you drafted. There's a lot more options. I don't think a draft lottery really solves all of these things here. And again, there's obviously still a downside to a tank. Obviously, the bad press you get, if you do it wrong then you have a culture problem if you can only sustain you know the lack of fan interest from tanking for so long there's business downsides that prevent taking too which i think are just as effective i i don't think a lottery fixes a lot of that
1: okay fair enough i think we've talked this one to death but i I think think we we actually probably spent more
0: time on this than we did on the milb stuff (laughs) happens i suppose we should end this show now talked about this for quite some time so we'll end this show as we end every show don't forget to play ball